The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gilland. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Afternoons with Mike Thanksgiving week. Is, uh, it's almost here, and I am so happy to have today a first-time guest in the studio. Shannon Chambly is a teacher. She is an education major and obviously teaches in the kindergarten range of students at a school I'm familiar with called Geneva School. It's a classical education school in the Orlando area, and she's also an author, and that's how I heard about Shannon through my friend David Welday and his organization, Higher Life Publishing. Shannon has written a book. It is a beautiful book, and I say that because she's brought one to me. It's called What He Said to Me. It's a children's book, fully illustrated, very colorful. It's gorgeous. Can't wait to read it to my grandkids. So welcome, Shannon, to my program. Thank you for having me. This is cool. Have you ever done a radio interview since you've become an author? I have not. So this is your first. This All right. First. That's great. Well, this book is going to open some doors for you on this kind of a thing. And uh, I, what you know, I'm just anxious to hear the story of how it came to about, uh, came to be, and how that you started this process. You obviously uh, told me before we began that you're from this area. I am. I am a native um, of Oviedo. Um, when it only had one stoplight, my, <laughs> my grandparents and great-grandparents um, were both, my grandparents were born and raised there, and my great-grandparents Isn't had that moved something? into that area. Yeah, yeah. Oviedo was a lot different. It was like a, a sleepy little, kind of like you said, a small community, more r- rural than anything, right? Yes, yes, known for celery and citrus. Isn't that something? Mm-hmm. So much of the citrus is no longer part of Central Florida. No, and it's been kind of sad to see the groves torn down and houses put in their place. Now, were those groves that you grew up with, were they destroyed in those that late 80s freeze? Is that when that happened? Yes, yeah, some then and, and some just due to the urban sprawl. Yeah, it happens. Yeah. And I know driving into Central Florida when we would come to vacation when I lived in Indiana... We would come down here and you're on the turnpike and you're seeing acres and acres and acres, seemingly endless acres of beautiful orange trees and grapefruit trees. And that's now replaced with neighborhoods. Right, right. Well, and we had groves like in our yard growing up and there was nothing quite like oh that citrus. Yeah, you're talking about fresh. Yes. Fresh, especially after you had a little cool snap. Makes those oranges very sweet. Oh, yeah. So much sweeter. Yeah, that's it. Well, that's fun that you got to grow up on that. Did you uh, go away to college? Or I think you said you went to UCF, right? Yes, went just down the street to My, UCF. It's right down the street from yeah. where you were. Yeah. Well, so you're you're truly uh, homegrown and home-raised. And and so you, what uh, did you know early on that you wanted to be a teacher? Um, I think I, I knew pretty, pretty early in life. I think later in college, I was like between teaching and nursing, there are some similarities. Um, mm-hmm. and then ultimately just knew in my heart that teaching was where I was supposed to be. All right. And so when you studied, uh, the whole teaching thing, when you were in school, that would have, that, that was going through a period of time when you would have been there. That would have been post when I was an elementary education major in the beginning as well. And I chose, I was one that did not stay in that field. You obviously did. Uh, but it was going through a lot of changes during the season that you were in education, right? Yes, definitely. Definitely lots of changes. I mean... You know, you think about what was going on in America and some of the, I guess, age-old habits with school teachers and School systems, I mean, I, I think back there, we're going through, well, is it going to be a 12-month sc- you know, school? Is it going to be nine-month? How's that going to work? You know, all of those things were going on. Yes. When I was in college, they were experimenting with the year-round calendars yeah. and 
schools that had, you know, rainbow tracks, red, green, yellow, purple, and every three weeks somebody was out um, so that they would have five five tracks of kids with only four kids in the building, four tracks in the building at the same time. And it was kind of chaotic, yeah. hard on families, yeah. hard on church planning. So yeah. when you were in school yourself, what would have been the classroom size when you were a student at f- Innovito? Yeah, I feel like when I was, I don't remember exactly, but I feel like class sizes would have been in the 22 to 24 mm-hmm. range. I think that kind of for me, it was around 30 in Indiana, you know, and that probably had some 25, but I know that the trend was then trending downward. You know, you wanted a higher uh, or a, a more, a more of a like 10 to one type of a ratio or something like that. And that's what the goal was. And, you know, you think about how many teachers you'd have to have and then you get to college and it's just the opposite. Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> a stadium classroom. Exactly. With students, yes. <laughs> I hated those personally. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you liked them, but I did not. No, I didn't have too many of those, but they were not my favorite. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you talk about, I had a history class when I was in college and it was a stadium class like that. And I don't know how many kids were in there, but literally it was in an auditorium uh, raked school room where the It'd be a much higher grade, uh, uh, you know, a steep grade of, of seats going up. And it, I, I would have just hated to have been the teacher in there because kids, you know, were there. It was noisy mm-hmm. and boring, quite frankly. I mean, right. It was not fun. Right. I can now see I'm sure why. they're probably on their cell phones. Yeah, right. They they don't care. They're, they've got their nose in their screen. Yeah. So uh, what was it like for you growing up? Were your parents involved in a church? Um, my parents were actually um, divorced when I was very young. They were um, teenage parents. Um, but, and, and my sister and I actually lived with my dad and my grandmother mm-hmm. was a key part of, of, helping him um, do that. But my dad got invited to a Bible study and um, came to know Jesus. And um, as a child, I still remember like a dramatic change in our life. And we started Mm -hmm. going to church and um, being really involved that way. And then one day, you know, after a period of time, um, he kind of sat sat me down and explained what all of that was about and the difference that I was seeing and the change that had happened in his life and, um, you know, asked me if I wanted to have that same um, experience. And, of course, I did. And mm-hmm. at the age of eight, um, I prayed to make Jesus, you know, the Lord of my life and, um it was the best decision mm. I've ever made. I mean, just to be able to walk through the difficult seasons of life, the ups and downs, knowing that um, I wasn't alone and that I was with someone who loved me so much, so much that he would lay down his life for me. Yeah, um, it's made it's made all of the difference. That's in the world. such a great story of your dad. I mean, that's a beautiful story. So often that's not kids, uh, their their experience where their dads are the one mm-hmm. that really took the time. And I loved what you said. He shared the differences that were going on in his life mm-hmm. since he uh, accepted Jesus as well. Yeah, yeah. That's great. And he's still, you know, one of my, one of my mentors in, in faith to this day. Hmm. Wonderful that you still have him. That's yeah. great. Yeah, I do. I'm that, grateful. That's really, really great. What a wonderful thing. And to grow up, I know I, I read your website, your bio on your website talks about the fact that you really never really walked away from your faith from that point on, right? No, I, I never really did. I mean, it was always a part of me. I think, you know, we all go through seasons where 
we're walking closer with the Lord mm-hmm. than um, than in other seasons. But it has always been um, what sustained me and, and kind of kept me going, and just knowing that gave my life purpose. Mm-hmm. What were your early goals in life? What did you think you'd do when you grew up, when you were that age? Um, you know, I think coming from a a broken family was to, you know, to get married, to stay married, to have children, um, and raise a family. Mm-hmm. And God has, God has made that dream um, a reality. My That's... husband and I have been married for. Almost thirty-three years. And That's we have wonderful. Three beautiful children and three amazing grandchildren. Mm-hmm. Um, it really is everything they say that it is. Yeah, grandparenting. That's so, it. It's yeah, grand. It is. It's grand. <laughs> it is so grand. I, I agree. And this is probably going to be a big week for your family, right? It is. Um, well, not as not so much with the grands because we have to share them with. Some other grandparents mm-hmm. too. Oh, so, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is truth. That yes, happens. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's really great. You know, this, uh, this whole Thanksgiving time causes all of us to reflect and to remember. And I, I just, uh, this cover of your book has a, a beautifully drawn picture of, of Christ holding a child. And I think when I see that, and after hearing you tell your story about how your dad talked to you, I mean, what a loving thing he passed on mm-hmm. to you is the story that I don't know how much of that was going on in your mind when you developed this great love for children, because you now have become a teacher of young kids yourself. Yeah, I think part of, um, I was the oldest of five, and so I think I was always nurturing someone, helping to take care of someone, even teaching someone. I remember teaching my um, younger brother, like how to write his name and, you know, all of that before he went, before he went off to kindergarten. So I think I can look back and see from a very Mm -hmm. young age that that was kind of God's calling. How many of uh, siblings did you have? Um, you know, it's a blended family, but so five, mm-hmm. I was the oldest of five. So your husband, your uh, dad remarried then and had some siblings from that. Yes. Yes. And my mom uh, had remarried as well. Okay. And, and I have a brother through. All right. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. I mean, that is, that is a uh, tough thing for anybody to go through. And so you had it in your heart that things were going to be different. How did you go about that? Because so often people replicate what happened to them. Yeah, I think part of it was um, was going into marriage with um, a personal relationship with the Lord. And that wasn't how my, my parents' marriage started. Mm-hmm. And so that is a huge difference maker. But um, also just being like intentional, like this is, we're going to fight for this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, in those marriage vows, it's, it's not for better or worse. It's for better and worse Mm -hmm. because we're all going to have, we're going to have both. There are worse days. (laughs) There are, there are. And just acknowledging that and, and you can get through them and, and, you know, there's, there's parts of our story where we've seen God do amazing things and at this point wouldn't subtract them, mm-hmm. wouldn't take, wouldn't take back what I've learned. I'm sure that you would say that as a teacher, you've learned that a lot of what has given you the ability and the wisdom and the, uh, let's just say the vision for being a teacher would be not only the good things that happen to you and that you learn from, but most of us learn even bigger lessons in life from those difficulties that we go through. Would you say that's true for you? I would definitely say, I would definitely say that that's true. Mm. Yeah. Um, I remember reading a quote in a book once about, um, you know, get out of that pit. And sometimes it doesn't matter what, how you got there, if you were thrown in there, or if it was your own consequence, your own behaviors that caused that. 
but it's about what you learn about God mm-hmm. on the way out um, that makes you grateful for whatever got you there. And I have I've truly found that to be found that to be true when I think when you're a person of faith, even having that faith tested and finding and knowing, not just knowing in your head, but knowing knowing in your head and your heart that God is all the things that he says that yeah. he is in scripture. Um, and to have your own experience with that. I heard one time sure. that uh, you can't really know whether you're really great friends with anyone, spouse included, until there is a test, until there's something that happens that really either catches you by surprise or maybe forces you to really deal with stuff that's going on in your heart that you may not have wanted to have to deal with or have it exposed. But that conflict, that whatever it was, that challenge that came up is is a real test. And you'll find out your commitment to that person when that test happens. Absolutely true. I agree with that 100%. Yeah. And I'm, I'm grateful for the fact that, well, we've had a lot of tests, but we've passed the tests. So mm-hmm. far. My wife and I've been married 47 years now. And it's, it's true. It's better now than before. All those wonderful things I heard, not only about grandkids, but about marriage. If you hang on, I think so many people, Shannon, they jump out of marriage way quickly, mm-hmm. even though there are serious problems. Leaving is not free from problems either. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I know that as a teacher, you get to deal with a lot of kids who are probably a lot like what you were from a broken family. Yes. Yes. I've definitely seen those stories over my, over my teaching career for sure. What was it that made you want to be a teacher? Um, looking back, some of the teachers that I had were really, really inspiring. I can think of specifically my fourth grade teacher at, um, Lawton elementary in Oviedo, um, um, uh, Mrs. Mary Bird. And, and, um, I was thinking about this like several months ago. I, I remember getting like, it was time for report cards to come out and they were, um, folded in that little sleeve and you would take it home <laughs> to your parents for them to sign. And it was, it was kind of like, um, it was like off limits. That was, you were to give that to your parents mm-hmm. and, and that was it. No but peeking. No peeking. But she was <laughs> one that she said, you know, she passed them out and she's like, open up your report cards, look them over. If you have any questions, let me know. And um, I had gotten all B's that, um, that marking period. And I went over and I said, um, well, why did I get all B's? And she said, because that's what you earned. And she showed in the, in the grade book and, you know, all of my grades. And, and I just felt like, um, I just felt like it was empowering and that, that you could look and you could ask questions and that she would, she would be, um, clear in, Mm -hmm. in her answers. And it's like, and that you in this life, you know, teaching that lesson of you, you get what you get, what you earn. And, and she was actually, when I moved on to UCF, she had moved up in her career and I, we, our paths crossed again, um, then. Um, but then I also like with my love of, of children's literature, I just remember having just the sweetest, um, elementary school librarian, Mrs. Addicts. Um, and I mean, I can still remember, her hands as she held books and the way that she, mm. um, the way that she read them and, um, and made so an I, impact on it, your life. It definitely made an impact. I'm with Shannon Chambly. We're going to take a quick break. Shannon is an author of a children's book called What He Said to Me. We'll be back with Shannon in a moment. This is Afternoons with Mike. EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat serves all your comfort needs. With over 40 years experience, EC Waters is a top train comfort specialist, earning customers for life with integrity. No wonder EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat has earned a 4.6 or higher out of 5 rating and reviews across all major online platforms. For all your comfort needs, call 407-603-9144 or visit ecwaters.com. Palm Beach Atlantic University Orlando offers three distinct areas of study. 
An evening Master's of Science in Clinical Mental Health Counseling, an evening Bachelor's of Science in Human Services, and our new Daytime Bachelor's of Science in Nursing. All of our courses are offered at our beautiful campus on Millennia Boulevard. For more information or to schedule a tour, call 844-PBA-ORLANDO. That's 844-PBA-ORLANDO. In the studio in this Thanksgiving week with Shannon Chambly. Shannon is a teacher at Geneva in the Central Florida area and became an author of this book that I'm holding in my hand. It is gorgeous. Uh, It's really one of the most beautifully... Uh, what uh, if you ever do printing or books? It's a, it would be called a full bleed color. In other words, they've they printed this thing. All of the color of the drawings go all the way to the edges of this beautiful book, and uh, I just can't wait to read it to my grandkids on Thursday when they're over. Uh, this is such a great thing. You've been a teacher now for how long? Um, in my current position, this is my fourth year there. Um, but prior to that, I was a preschool and um, kindergarten administrator um, at a local church. I did that for 18 years. Oh, wow. So you were at a church school. Mm-hmm. That's it. So you, you've uh, really, your experience has always been in Christian education then, right? Um, I actually started in public school. So I did a few, a few years um, there, about four years there, and then um, was home for a couple of years with, with little ones. 18 years in administration, and then um, these last four years back in the classroom. When you have uh, public school teachers that are, let's say, still teaching right now, and they they find out what you do and what it's like for you, what do you tell them? What kind of uh, comparisons do you share? Like, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. I think part of the reason that I love doing what I do is because I can share Christ and mm-hmm. share my faith in in every day um, when I'm when I'm talking to students about behavior and how to behave and why and and um, even when we do our best doing our best work and 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 everything that we do everything mm-hmm. we put our hands to do that we do it with all of our all of our might as as unto the Lord um, that's just a that's just a game changer for me it's mm. who I it's who I am and so in teaching in a um, Christian school, I get to use my, my gifts and talents and my authentic self. That's good. So it's a great benefit. Yeah. So how did the book come about? So several years ago, um, a mutual friend, um, invited my friend Peter to imagine what, um, what Jesus might've said to the children in the story of the, in the Bible that's told in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And um, she said, you know, we, we know what he's, Jesus said to the disciples, but we don't know what Jesus said to the children that day. So what do you think he might have said? So we were at a conference um, at a school in California, and the next year we were together again, and Peter unveiled his song that he had written um, called What He Said to Me, where he imagined just that exact scenario. And it was a precious song, totally just touched my heart and brought it back to our school, used it, you know, at at our preschool graduation um, that year. And it had had made its way into my, you know, playlist and would just randomly kind of cycle through. Um, Is he a professional musician? He, um, he is a worship leader. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, um, um, I think a very talented songwriter. Um, and this was obviously something that he'd recorded in a studio, right? Yes. He had recorded and, um, just kind of, you know, cause of his, of, you know, our mutual friend had challenged him to do it. And, but the song would would just kind of randomly cycle through my playlist, and every time I would just find myself like on the verge of tears and just thinking, like children need this message, and the fact, and and I I just wanted them to be able to like see it in their hand and hold it, read it, and then the added benefit of mm-hmm. of singing it um, as well, just as a way to just kind of reinforce. Um, that message and I would send him a text and 
hey, you really need to turn this into a children's book. And um, he's like, I don't have time. And, mm-hmm. and then finally I was like, hey, can I do it? And he's like, of course, go ahead. Um, so that was kind of just really feeling like in my heart that God really had more for this song and just to kind of take it to. Um, so is the character uh, development in the book, the, the, the conversation between the Lord and, and the kids, was that guided and really pushed by the lyrics of the song? Um, yes, it was guided by the lyrics of the song and then just taking some children, um, his two children and some children in my life and kind of putting them as kind of characters mm-hmm. in there on that day um, and just kind of customizing the messages for for children that I knew. Now, you had never written a book before, so what kind of step did you take to get this ball going uh, with regards to writing a book? Well, I had been, I had wanted to write a book. I didn't think that necessarily a children's book would be the first thing that, um, that I would do. And so I had been in some writing groups and some, some coaching and and that Mm -hmm. kind of thing, um, which helped to make it a little less, uh, intimidating. And, um, then just started searching out like some self-publishing options and landed, eventually landed with, um, with higher, higher life, life yeah. really helped mm-hmm. to, to um, bring the vision to to reality mm-hmm. and the product. That who did you work with there directly? Um, I had a couple of um, project managers, um, but mostly, um, and and some of them have transitioned out for for mm-hmm. various reasons. But um, you know, David's been a constant as well, and and Tim, mm-hmm. Tim, Tim Sinan, Sinan. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. That's really great. I love this. So a conversation that the Lord is having, what he said to me. So I, again, I just got the book from you, not read it yet. That will come on Thursday. Looking forward to it. The differences in, in writing books today, I'm told, compared to what it would have been 20 years ago, 15, maybe even 10 years ago, a lot different to write. You mentioned self-publishing. Higher life, from what I understand, is kind of like a, a little bit in between the the traditional publishing and self-publishing. Would that be accurate? Yes. I mean, I feel like um, they were so good at kind of guiding me through the mm-hmm. process um, that I really kind of only know their their process and yeah, the way right. that what they've helped. But um, that's how they've helped me to understand it as well. Kind of a, a combination hybrid of the two. What was the process of writing it? Is it something that you did in the evenings or did you get up super early like a lot of authors do? What was your story? I think um, it was kind of working on it in chunks. I would kind of work on it, let it sit for a little bit, then come back to it kind of with fresh fresh mm-hmm. eyes and, and kind of make edits through then, uh, through that, um, being a children's book is not terribly, terribly long. Um, but that was kind of more just kind of finding the, finding the time. Cause, mm-hmm. um, it's always a battle for time, but, and then letting it sit for a bit and coming back to it and looking at it. So you eyes. did this while you're teaching full time too, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And your children are obviously, if you've got grandkids, I'm assuming they're already adults themselves then, right? Um, two of them are, yes. One of them's still in school then. Yeah, we have a 10th grader, 15-year-old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Still at home. Yes. Yeah, so you've got all, then you've got all of that responsibility yes. to kind of um, throw into the mix as well. Parenting and grandparenting. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And teaching. I think it's inspiring for all of us that like to write, I think... Uh, I haven't met too many people that at one point or another didn't want in their lifetime to write a book. And yet so many people never crossed the door to doing that. And uh, I think it's inspiring for them to realize that here's a mom, here's a grandmom, here's a teacher uh, with lots of responsibilities. And you still found time to do something that was in your heart to do. Yes. And I, 
but I also have to say that um, I, I can be kind of pretty uh, conservative and just um, not not much of a risk taker, mm-hmm. playing it safe. Um, but my husband has been the biggest cheerleader, and at times when I was like, I just I just don't think I can do this. He was mm. like, you can't let this dream die, and mm. he just kept pushing me on. And so I I wouldn't be here this wouldn't have made it across the finish line without his, um, without his constant encouragement and believing mm-hmm. in me on the days when I, when I thought, yeah, this isn't going to amount to anything. Now you mentioned Peter, your friend that kind of helped with the inspiration of the book and mm-hmm. wrote the song and all that. What, what were his thoughts about the book? Um, he really liked it. Um, and sent copies to to him and his boys um a few months a few months ago and um they were really pleased with the final product and i think in in doing it this is one of the things that i love about the way that god works um you know cuz he had peter had been challenged to write it he kind of followed through on the challenge and and did that and then I'm following through with what God has asked me to do. And so when I kind of sent it back to him, um, I think it was, it was at a time when he was kind of, um, you know, perhaps struggling with some discouragement and, Mm. and, and that kind of thing. And it was, it kind of breathed life back into him at the same time. The words that he some of the words that he had already written that Mm. God had used to kind of encourage his heart, um, again. So, I just love the way that our God works that. Yeah, he does that. And he has all of these little nuances, little hidden encouragements that we just aren't Mm -hmm. quite prepared for. And they come floating by. Now you've written this book. It's in your heart to write another, right? Yes, I have um, some thoughts for the next one. Will it be a kid's book as well? Yes, that's what I'm looking at. Okay. Now, you mentioned early on you didn't think your first book would be a children's book. There must be some other type of genre of book that's in your mind as well. I think um, I think a book that just encourages um, um, families with marriage and, and parenting um, at some point. Got one more to get out of the house, and then maybe that one will. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. We'll come to Fruition. What are your kids that are uh, uh, older now? What are they looking at doing with their lives? So um, my oldest daughter is um, married and she's home with three kids um, right now, but she's also a teacher. Um, wow. So at some point, you know, she'll get back into the classroom, mm-hmm. you know, at the right time. Um, our son is, um, he was in the military. He was in the Marine Corps for five years and congratulations. That's yes, awesome. We were so proud of him and he has been out for about a year and he um, is a helicopter mechanic locally. So he's back in, in the state of Florida. So that was, that was great. So he's a helicopter and he obviously in the military, then he worked on choppers there, right? Yes. Yeah. Oh, wow. So God just opened a, a lovely opportunity for him, you know, does he pilot them as well as work on them? He's gotten a little bit of opportunity to do that. That's not, I think he may go more towards that route eventually, but mm-hmm. but right now he's working on them. And <laughs> if, 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 if a pilot gives him an opportunity, he'll take it. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> well, this has been delightful to chat with you. Thank you so much for coming up and being part of us and this book. How can people find out about the book? So the book is available on shannonchambly.com. And um, so, yeah, they can purchase copies, purchase copies there. Is it available on like uh, Amazon, those kind of places? Um, It will be. It's not quite yet. Mm -hmm. So the best. So this is like a brand new book then, right? Yes, yes. Wow. And I have plenty of stock, so. There you go. And that's what they need to do. Again, that website is Shannon Chambly, spelled C-H-A-M-B-L-E-Y dot com. It's been a delight to have you up here. And we wish you a happy Thanksgiving. 
Thank you, Mike. The same to you. All right. We've got enough time this segment to turn our attention to Reverend Albert Moeller. Al Moeller has the briefing every day. He talked about Rosalind Carter, who passed away this past weekend. Listen to what he has to say about her and her husband, President Jimmy Carter. Rosalind Carter was known for being politically savvy. And in many ways, what was understood is that the president, Jimmy Carter, and Rosalind Carter were something of a necessary duo. Now, that was healthy when it came to affirming the intimacy and the power of marriage as an institution. But Rosalind Carter also, as I said, made clear that she was the more political of the two. She said, I've always said I'm more political than Jimmy. I'm political. He's not. Patrick Cadell, who was the pollster for the former president, told the Times during the Carter administration, quote, she is clearly the most political first lady maybe in history in terms of being involved in politics and in the campaign, end quote. Now, just remember that in 1980, Ronald Reagan was elected, defeating Jimmy Carter, putting Jimmy Carter in that list of those who are one-term presidents. But Ronald Reagan was married to Nancy Reagan, and Nancy Reagan turned out to be a very powerful figure in the White House, but more quietly, more off the scene than was Rosalind Carter. Rosalind Carter understood her role to be not only standing beside Jimmy, but very much speaking into policy. And there was one area of policy in which she had a particular interest. And this too is very important in the span of American history. Rosalind Carter was very concerned with where America stood on the issue of mental illness and mental health. And in order to underline how important this is, we need to recognize that during the period, even up until the 1970s, there was not much public conversation about mental illness or mental health at all. Rosalind Carter wanted to change that. She saw it as a major health challenge, a major challenge to the United States. She championed legislation known as the Mental Health Systems Act, and it was eventually passed, but nonetheless largely reversed by President Ronald Reagan. But President George W. Bush passed legislation that put back in place much of what Rosalind Carter had been contending for. Most importantly, that included insurance coverage for mental health on par with physical health. Now, there are a lot of issues from a Christian worldview perspective to be taken apart here when it comes to the questions related to mental health, psychiatry, psychology, and all the rest. But it is very important to note, and honesty compels me to note, that mental health care during that time and institutions for those who are diagnosed as mentally ill, they were often very substandard institutions. And persons who in any way were associated with mental illness, were often shunted off from society. Again, lots of issues to discuss here, but there is no question that Rosalind Carter made a difference in this nation, and there's no doubt that she saw a very legitimate problem. Now, I mentioned the moral and cultural issues, and in order to understand this, we need to go back to the 1960s and the 1970s. When Jimmy Carter won the nomination finally to be the governor of Georgia, the Democratic nomination, he did so running as a conservative, but once he was elected on a number of issues, he showed himself to be far more liberal than he had presented himself to be to voters. In one sense, that's what Jimmy Carter did when he ran for president. But in another sense, Jimmy Carter was light years more conservative as president than anyone who might hope for the Democratic nomination could possibly be now. Get the full report from Albert Moeller at albertmoeller.com, The Briefing. I'll be back in a moment. This is Afternoons with Mike. Pastors and financial leaders, do you need expert accounting or tax help? Do you have payroll or 1099 questions? Do you need a ministry expert to help you acquire real estate for your next project? If the answer is yes, yes, and yes, visit PetraWorldwide.org. Petra Worldwide has been strengthening ministries to transform humanity since 2007. Visit PetraWorldwide.org or call 855-481-9095. Back again now on this Tuesday, Thanksgiving week. Hope you and your family have a lot of fun things planned. Looks like the weather's going to be pretty nice, a bit on the cool side for this year. And that's kind of nice, too, for those of us that live here in Central Florida. 
Well, I had Thurlow Spur on recently, and we were talking about the big event that's coming up on the 2nd of December at Calvary Orlando. It is called Christmas Is. Now, this is an incredible musical presentation, but they have so much more than just music. They have aerial acts. They have, uh, for the kids, a lot of things outside before the event even begins. They can go to a a petting zoo, and there are uh, music acts happening. In the lobby, one of which is one of my guitar heroes. He'll be back. Walter Rodriguez Jr. is from the Miami area, and he is an incredible guitar player. If you go to YouTube and type in Walter Rodriguez, and his name is spelled a bit differently R O D R I G U E S. And you'll find a lot of music. He's a solid believer. He plays a beautiful Godin guitar. And he talks just a bit about that guitar and what's going to happen later on. Yes, uh, it's one of my main guitars because it's very versatile for me. Uh, I love the neck, love the way it plays. And it's also uh, MIDI enabled. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I use it a lot. Uh, in the studio for uh, orchestrating things and uh, it, it's a great guitar it's uh, you can play it um, unplugged you can hear it because at least the model i have it's it, it's hollow inside yeah uh i mean i love this guitar i absolutely love it and I play my Godin the same way. It's chambered, and it's really nice, like you said, hollowed out. And it has a, a decent volume just by itself. But, boy, when you hook it up to the uh, amplifier or your studio system, that's when the magic happens with that guitar, right? Absolutely. And uh, on my guitar, I did a little upgrade. It's, it's called uh, Polybase. I installed It's like a circuit board. And the two lowest strings, the E and the A, uh, will sound an octave lower. So when you play by yourself, all the bass notes that you play on the regular chords, they sound an octave lower. So like if a bass player was playing with you, and it, it, it's a wonderful you know, device that I, uh, I, I, I found out about, about it uh, three, four years ago. It's made in, 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 in Switzerland, Switzerland, and I got it, installed it. Oh, my gosh, it's, it, it's such a nice feature to have when you play solo. Well, I, I've just now learned one of your hacks that I always wondered about because I've noted that, and I just assumed that you were somehow middying that, uh, that lower tone, but it's actually a, 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 like a bit of an adjustment you've made to the guitar. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Many people ask me, well, how, "How do you get those uh, those low those low notes?" And because uh, it, it's a device that it's not advertised, you never hear about it. I've never heard about it. Yeah. Uh huh. So you've modded that guitar and you did all that yourself? Yes, I installed it. It's like a plug and uh, plug and play. You just take one of the circuit boards out and just install the other one. Wow. The way they did it, it's it's so easy to to install it. Yeah. Now, is there a switch that you can go on and off with that? No, it's actually on the the my golden. It has those sliding uh, buttons mm-hmm. that you control the 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 synthesizer volume. Right when you hook it up to the to the synthesizer, and that particular slide uh, controls the volume of the bass sound. Oh, that's great! So you can mix it. Uh-huh. Okay, well, pardon us, uh, friends, for those of you that may not be guitar uh, lovers like I am. I'm sorry, but that was so interesting. I just <laughs> love hearing you talk about that. You know, we know mutually a friend, Doyle Dykes. And, uh, you know, when I think about Doyle, he's another one of these guys, a different style player than you, but equally talented with 
just amazing uh, chords and abilities. Again, I think uh, the, the word, you know, it's kind of a strange word to use, I'll admit, but uh, contortions. <laughs> the what you do with your left hand on that, on that neck of that guitar, <laughs> you're able to get things that I think most people just look at and go, how in the world did he do that? How did he get that kind of speed from that switch of that chord to the right. next? And uh, that's what Doyle does, too. And he invited me to play with him one time, Walter. And it was like right before. I didn't know I was going to do it. And so he said, but yeah, in a moment, I'm going to have Mike come up here. Well, I think my my hands were so wet from sweating and nervous. <laughs> it was just, oh, my word. I, it was it was both wonderful and terrifying at the same time. But uh, that, that's what happened, man. It, he's a great player, isn't he? Oh, my goodness. Doyle, he's a, he's a monster player. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I met him many, many years ago when he came to Miami to play uh, a small concert slash workshop at a, at a local guitar center. Oh, he did those clinics all over the place. Yeah, it was a clinic at Guitar Center, and it was many, many years ago. And then I, I never had the fortune of uh, meeting him again. But I mean, I follow him on his YouTube channel. I mean, I have some of his CDs, and oh, maybe one day I'll I'll get the, I'll have the honor of uh, playing with him. Oh, I hope but so. He, he is an amazing player. I absolutely love his playing. Well, who else besides Doyle do you like to listen to? Oh, I love listening to Earl Clue. I love Earl Clue. Yeah. Yeah. He's Earl great. Clue, amazing, amazing guitar player. I mean, his tone, uh, his harmonic concept is just out of this world. Uh, Joe Pass, you know, it's mm -hmm. been, I love listening to the very first record of Take Six. And the title of the CD is Take Six. That that CD just changed my life. I was in L.A. one day at a record store and they started playing that CD. I think it was back in 1990. And they started playing that CD. And I, I just got goosebumps all over. And I, I, it changed my, my life. That CD is just a, it's a must, must have. Uh, have you listened much to, to Tommy Emmanuel? Oh, yes, Tommy. Yes, uh-huh. I mean, I love Tommy's playing. I've been to uh, quite a few concerts when he comes down here to South Florida. Oh, that's great. And I have a uh, a Martin that he signed for me, a Martin guitar. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, he is, as far as fingerstyle player, he's, I mean, he, he, he is the number one, you know, to go. Fingerstyle, I mean, Tommy Emmanuel, the way he he made the finger style, uh, you know, popular in the world, it's it's just amazing. You know, I love his uh, TEDx video. Have you seen that? My life as a yes, uh, as uh -huh. I think as a, as a single player or something like that. Right. Just look up Tommy Emmanuel and TEDx, and it's one of the most entertaining programs you'll ever see if you're a musician or if you like guitar music. What he does, it's unreal. And I could not believe watching him get his guitar prepared. What he does was, mm -hmm. I, I couldn't believe it. He scratches the outside of his guitar uh, until some of the finish is off of it purposefully. Yeah, so, so, yeah that, so he can get the percussion sound. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's, it seems wrong to do that. It's, really, it's against Whatever everything. Whatever works. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. If you, again, just tuned in, Walter Rodriguez Jr., he will be playing in the lobby at Christmas Is, and you can get tickets by going to christmasis.us, christmasis.us. Walter, what was it like for you playing at Christmas Is? Oh, it was an amazing experience. Uh, people are so welcoming, and I played at the lobby, like mm -hmm. I'm going to do this year again as people were walking in and they stopped and they, you know, listen for a little while. Then they, they went to the main auditorium. Uh, but it was such a great experience. I, I absolutely loved it. And I'm looking so forward 
for this year again. Oh, that's great. I can't wait to see it. And I've said it before, your role in uh, Christmas is would be worth the price of admission, my friends, <laughs> and you can take it from here. So there's so many other things that will be going on that day. Uh, it's uh, just that you're a big piece of that pie and I'm excited about that uh, that particular aspect of this event. If you'd like information on that, that's christmasis.us, or as Thurlow says, Christmas is us. <laughs> that's the way he put it, and I think that works. What's ahead for you? Lots of work. I mean, the studio has been very, very busy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, also the teaching and family uh, we just got a puppy, so that's another full-time job. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. And yeah, but I mean, so, I mean, once in a while, uh, some local churches they, they invite me to go over and play uh, some special music. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, whatever happens, uh, but you know, always busy, always working, and uh, always trying to you know spread spread the word of the Lord and, uh, you know, doing what he called me to do. That's wonderful. What arrangement are you working on right now? Uh, I just, I just finished, I just, uh, wrote a, a new song, an original. Oh, wow. Yes. And, uh, I'm arranging it and should be recording a, uh, a, a video in the next couple of weeks. Um, as far as other arrangements, I've been working on uh, on a CD of a uh, an amazing drummer. Uh, has played with many many uh, wonderful musicians, and I'm doing all the guitar tracks for him. Oh, that's great! Uh, and always arranging, you know, new songs for for YouTube and recording lessons for for my Patreon. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, always busy. <laughs> That's great. Walter Rodriguez Jr., his name is spelled, if you type it into YouTube, it's with a U-E-S instead of a Z, Walter Rodriguez Jr., and uh, he has his own YouTube channel. And uh, believe me, friends, if you're a lover of music, there's enough there to keep you busy for a while. It's great. I don't know how many videos you have out, but it's a bunch of them. Oh, yeah. I think it's uh, over 100 now. Yeah. yeah. Over 100 videos there. Uh-huh. And, and they're well done. And uh, give us the address for your Patreon channel. Yeah, sure. It's uh, patreon.com slash Walter Fingerstyle. Slash Walter Fingerstyle. Fingerstyle. Okay. Uh-huh. I can't tell you how much fun this has been to have you on my program today. Thank you for taking the time to be with us. And we so look forward to seeing you in December. Oh, thank you, Mike, for having me. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much. Walter Rodriguez, he'll be back this year for the third time at Christmas Is. You'll also be able to hear the Thurlow Spurs singers. Tim Kaufman is going to be coming up next week. I'm really looking forward to having him here for that. Y'all, Bob Pickett is coming from St. Louis again. Hopefully, he'll be up at the studio before December. And then, uh, of course, we've got all of the great production that happens at Christmases at Calvary Orlando on Saturday, December 2nd. Kick off your Christmas season at Calvary Orlando for Christmas Is, presented by Thurlow and Kathy Spur. Well, tomorrow I have Dr. James Spencer on for a special Thanksgiving show. We'll see you next time on Afternoons with Mike. (laughs) 